0: For me personally, the way that I see my mother is like a mountain with like a calm lake at the bottom. Um, The more I thought about it, though, the more I think it's actually an orchard.
1: Welcome to Doc This, a podcast where we get behind the creative process of Ryerson Doc Media graduate students. Each episode, we will feature one of our colleagues who will talk about their current documentary work, along with the concerns and insights they have had along the way. What's the importance of a place? Such as where you were born, or where you spent your most memorable years? Does a landscape affect a person? Can that landscape become a part of you? What happens when you're taken away from that place? These are just a few of the questions that Anum Shah raises in her familial work. Sarah Wiley and Danny Fisher had a conversation with her in beautiful B23, our doc media grad lab, tucked away in the depths of downtown Toronto.
2: Let's have a listen. Anum, can you give us the elevator pitch for your project? Sort of uh, sum it up quickly for us?
0: I guess kind of in one sentence, it's the language and landscape of displacement. Um, To expand on that a little bit, it's a story about my mom um, who's been internally displaced in Pakistan in her life um, and then later immigrated to Canada. My mom's from a small village in Northern Pakistan and the landscape of that village is like it's in the mountains, big mountains, rivers, um, lots of like fruit trees and stuff like that. So um, it's, it's called Pagla. And she has told me that there was like the story goes, I guess, um, that there was such an abundance of fruit in that village that it used to like run off in the river to villages around as well. Um, and that's kind of because Pal in Urdu means fruit. And that's kind of, I guess, where it's derived from. And then they were later displaced in life um, due to being religious minorities. So they had to move to a smaller town further further south, which was not necessarily flatland, but more kind of like red, rocky type of hill um, and then very deserty. And then she got married and um, my dad was living in Canada. So she immigrated to Canada after she got married and moved to Saskatchewan. <laughs> so she went to like a completely fat landscape. Um, and then the year before I was born, they moved to Calgary. So she kind of went back to that elevated landscape where she was surrounded by mountains again.
2: We took a class this past semester with uh, Blake Fitzpatrick, uh, where we were it was the second part of a two-part course about the history of documentary. And we spent a lot of time looking at the kind of turn in documentary towards thinking about landscape and looking at films like, uh, our other professor Brett Story's film, the prison of 12 landscapes after kind of sitting with all that and dealing with landscape and in, in your film, um, what are, what are your sort of thoughts about landscape and documentary and how, how is your film going to kind of fit in this larger, um, collection of, of work, uh, that sort of thinks about what landscape can do for us in terms of, uh, documentary storytelling
0: for me landscape mostly has to do with like memory and nostalgia um in this story um so like we i grew up in calgary and we were were surrounded by the rockies so going to the mountains and um was a big part of my childhood and my mom used to often comment about how it reminded her of her home village um so I think that's where the interest in the landscape comes in for me is, again, how we find familiarity in places that are unfamiliar and how she connects one one landscape to the other. Um, and I was kind of going through like old, older, not old, 2011, <laughs> um, like family photos uh, of like the first and only time that I've actually been to her home village um, and kind of putting them next to pictures of the mountains from... Calgary the resemblance was striking um very similar in terms of like the rivers and the mountains and that type of thing so it's it's interesting the way that that's kind of panned out for her
3: yeah I'm really fascinated by this idea of landscapes um and I know uh Agnes Varda has this thing where in the beaches of Agnes where she's connecting the beaches of herself and she's on the beaches in the opening of the film. Um, and so I think there's there can be a really nice connection between the idea of an internal landscape and an external landscape. Um, yeah, so I'd just like to hear more about how you are going to connect the connect those two things. Um, does, you, do you, does your mom speak pretty openly about her emotional connection to the landscape? Yeah, that
0: actually... Um has been a huge influence for me. So that initial opening line where she says, like, if you opened up people, you'd find landscapes. Um, that really got me thinking about what the landscape inside my mother is um, and how she would how she would define that. It's something that I haven't asked her yet because I, I want to ask her when I'm actually filming her because I want to capture her initial reaction. For me personally, like, I initially was, like, the way that I see my mother is, like, a mountain with like a calm lake at the bottom. The more I thought about it though, the more I think it's actually an orchard. So she talks a lot about um, the orchards that they had in their home village and that they, that her family actually owned. So she talks a lot about fruit trees and um, like apricots and apples and all of these things that they grew up eating and being surrounded by. So I think that's like a really cool visual element um, that she connects to but I was actually talking to her last weekend and this is something that I like for some reason never really clued into, but she said that thinking back on her home village at times is painful because they were never able to go back um, fully. And I, she's always spoken of it with like such nostalgia and fondness that I didn't realize that, you know, those, those memories are also, they have like a painful aspect to them as well. Um, So I'm exploring like, interested in kind of finding out more about how she feels about that as well but again a lot of the stuff that i want to ask her i want to ask her when i'm kind of like face to face (laughs) rather than on the phone Mm -hmm. um
3: this might be a too personal of a question feel free to not answer it but i i think with a lot of work that touches on personal issues at least in my experience i'm always kind of maybe consciously or not consciously like kind of looking searching for a piece of myself or trying to understand myself as well. Um, is there something that you're kind of hoping to get out of it for your own uh, journey and sense of identity or, yeah, I, I don't know if you want to respond to that or not.
0: Yeah, uh, that's actually a really interesting question. Um, so like, I'm not an immigrant, um, but as the ch- like as the child of an immigrant, there's a lot of, I guess like, intergenerational stuff that we experience um kind of living on like the cusp of two cultures i guess and like i've only been to pakistan a couple times in my life and i don't go there and feel like i fit in whereas like here i i do and i i don't know if that's like that's again something that i want to explore with my mom is like where where is home now um i like i'm fairly certain that she would say canada <laughs> Um, and so I think that that's an interesting way. I think it's interesting that we make home of where wherever we end up. But when you have two like really different cultures, um, it's not necessarily hard to navigate. It's just kind of like you're always on the edge of balancing the two in a way. So balancing Pakistani identity with... Canadian identity, and I don't, I don't see any sort of like conflict in it for me all that much anymore. Definitely as a kid, but I think it. I think there's similarities in the stories of like kind of looking for home or trying to find home or wondering what what home really is, and like whether it's a landscape or something else.
2: We had an interesting experience this morning, uh, seeing a little bit of your work uh, in Manfred Becker's class. Uh, It was an interview with your brother uh, for the project. And one of the things that I thought was interesting was he sort of drew a distinction between maybe how he understands some things around being Pakistani and language, um, drawing a distinction between how he sees them and maybe how you see them, which made me curious about how you kind of negotiate what I think all personal documentaries have to negotiate, which is your lens and the lens of subjects other people and you know often personal documentaries sort of take that on head-on like uh, Sarah Polley's stories we tell or Ross McElwee's bright leaves but is that something you're anticipating um having to kind of address directly in your in your work the the issue of how you see things and how everyone else sees things
0: I think in inevitably yeah um I think even kind of like in the editing room, you end up making choices that speak to your own view of what happened. Um, I want to keep it as much kind of like a like a diary film almost um, for my mom to be able to just kind of tell her story. But I think um, the interaction between us two will inevitably um, come through. And even something like language, like... We all kind of, we, we've we grown up speaking multiple languages. Um, so like I speak in Urdu to my mom, but I'm more comfortable speaking in English. So English inevitably comes into conversation as well while I'm talking Urdu. Um, and she speaks um, a different language dialect to her own siblings that I understand, but don't speak. Um, So I did initially want her to speak exclusively in Hinko, which is the language that she speaks. But um, in doing like preliminary interviews with her, it kind of became obvious that she, since the person wasn't speaking back in the language to her, she was reverting back to speaking in Urdu. So I'm not too tied down to that anymore.
3: Um, just expanding on that idea of language, um, I know you mentioned that you were not going to use as much English and your mom's own dialect in Urdu. Um, what do you think can be revealed through uh, speaking in different languages? And do you see different parts of your mom when she, she's speaking different
0: languages? Yeah, I think there's a certain level of comfort that she has in speaking Hindko. Because um, that's like her mother tongue. That's what she grew up speaking. And they only like started speaking Urdu um, a lot more when they were displaced. Um, and that's something that they had to pick up because um, Hinko is, is pretty specific to the region that they're from. And then even in Canada, like obviously she learned English and had to, had to switch to English. But I think there's interesting ways in which we seek out like familiarity in places that are not familiar. Um, so like for her, she's got... Um, people in, in Calgary that she's kind of like made friends with that speak in um, that ended up, they kind of like had a chance coincidence meeting and then found out that their like grandfathers were friends and that type of thing. So I'm interested in like even with the landscape, how she finds familiar- familiarity and how we as humans tend to do that when we're in places that are not home.
3: Cool. Well, I guess as a, f- a final note, we'll just ask you. Um, I'm curious what when you finish this film and you put it out into the world, what are some of your hopes um, of how people respond to it and how your mom responds to it?
0: <laughs> um,
3: maybe it's too early to tell. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I mean, I, I don't want to focus on, I don't want to necessarily focus on like negative aspects. So, I mean, displacement is painful, immigration to a certain degree can be painful as well, especially when you're leaving your entire family behind. Um, And especially like back in the eighties, like you couldn't just download WhatsApp on your phone. (laughs) But I think there is something to be said about um, building a life for yourself, no matter where you are. Um, And I think my mom has done that with great strength and resilience and courage. And she's always been kind of like this driving force in my life, like a very positive driving force in my life, like always encouraging me to do whatever whim I have. So I want it to be also in a sense, just kind of like a celebration of who she is as a a person. Um, So hopefully that comes through and hopefully she's happy with it. I mean, I, I will be kind of having her input while I'm making it. So, yeah, I'm kind of hoping that that kind of comes through. Yeah.
2: Will you bring her to the premiere? Oh, yeah. She'll be here. (laughs) That's (laughs) good. Yeah, we got to meet her. Yeah. Yeah. She'll be there for sure.
1: (laughs) That pretty much wraps up episode two of Doc This. But before we go, here's Nawal Salim with your one-minute doc review.
4: You've probably heard the phrase, caught in the system before. It's kind of ambiguous, but you know it points to some larger institution giving a hard time to someone who doesn't deserve it. Well, that's exactly what happened to Kalief Browder. At only 16 years old, Kalief was accused of stealing a backpack and was thrown into the notorious prison known as Rikers Island in New York for three whole years, two of those years being spent in solitary confinement. In the Netflix docuseries entitled Time, the Kalief Browder Story, Audiences follow the young boy's horrific journey through the prison system as he gets physically abused by both inmates and correction officers. As well, we see his life after prison, which was cut short due to suicide. You hear testimony from Khalif himself, along with some of his famous supporters, including Jay-Z and Rosie O'Donnell. This is a must-watch for anyone who advocates for prison reform. This is a must-watch for everyone to finally understand what caught in the system really means
1: doc this is hosted by danny fisher and sarah wiley with thanks to ryerson image arts and the mfa documentary media program this episode's guest was Anum shah the doc review was written and performed by nawal Salim. Doc This is edited and produced by John Verhaven and myself, Kenny MacDonald. Thanks for listening.